Welcome to the Legally Bliss podcast. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, dress at the office, balance our families with work, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys and how they've proactively chosen to do career and life differently. The ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms and not what society or big law has prescribed for them. We'll learn from these women how to deeply question the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated to inspire you. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Well, hey there, and welcome everyone to Legally Blissed Conversations. I'm so excited to be here today, and I'm excited to welcome my friend Sheila Murphy today. So I've been a trademark attorney for about 20 years, and I'm also the founder of Legally Bliss Community. After having practiced law for about tw- for about 20 years in both big law and um, having had my own boutique practice, I've worked with a lot of women lawyers at this point who um, I've realized have sort of their own unique challenges um, throughout their journey. I've learned that while women are awesome advocates for others, they sometimes seem to struggle with self-advocacy a bit. So Legally Blissed was developed to help give female attorneys a platform to network, collaborate, and support each other, all while learning and integrating the Bliss Method to become more fierce and powerful advocates, not just for others, but also for themselves and for each other. And again, I am so thrilled today to welcome Sheila Murphy to discuss her unique journey as a woman lawyer. So let me tell you all a little bit about Sheila. She is the CEO of Focus Forward Consulting, where she coaches her clients to make power moves that create forward momentum in their careers. As a certified coach, Sheila works with lawyers who want to become an unstoppable force in their careers. I've lost my notes about you, Sheila. <laughs> Prior That's to- okay. I, you know, I'm happy to go right into the conversation. <laughs> but I've got more stuff. There's more good bios. So <laughs> we'll get to your journey. But prior to launching Focus Forward Consulting, she was Senior Vice President and Associate General Counsel at MetLife and has also spent many years in private practice. So we've got some good stuff here, Sheila. I don't want to I don't want to get past this. <laughs> She's received numerous accolades, including the 2019 Lifetime Achievement Award from Corporate Counsel's Women, Influence Power in the Law Award Program, the highest LEAF Award in 2010 from the Women's Venture Fund, and in 2017 was named a leading woman lawyer in New York City by Crane's New York business. Whoa, so much good stuff there. I am so excited to talk to you today and learn more about your journey. And I'm so thrilled to be here. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's do this. So I always like to know what prompted you, what in the world prompted you to go to law school? That, I mean, I would have to say 
I go way back and where I wanted to go to law school. I saw the movie Adam's Rib, which a lot of people may not be familiar with. It's an old Catherine Hep Hepburn, Spencer Tracy romantic, romantic comedy. And in the movie, Catherine Hepburn plays the defense attorney to this woman who is uh, on trial for shooting her husband because he had an affair. And she is just so fierce yeah. in that role. And I had never really seen many women depicted in the pictures, let alone a black and white movie, which is probably at least 75 years old, as you're thinking about it now. I was going to ask you, what do you think that was published? Do you know? I, I, I went back at one point. It was like probably like in the 1940s. If you th and not only a lawyer, but a trial lawyer, because, you know, as we know, yeah. regrettably, a lot of women don't get those opportunities to try cases, let alone this was a high profile one and the newspapers were printing stuff. So it was just terrific. And the and banter was yeah. great. And I was like, I want to do that now. <laughs> so cool. That's that's really cool. I have never I've asked a lot of like inspiration stories and why did you go to law school? But I haven't heard any yet where they were inspired by that that movie. What was the name of it again? Say it again. It's called Adam's Rib. And it's an old, like it's black and white, and it's just uh, I don't know. I love it. I find it funny. I think you know some of the things still ring true today. So yeah. Do you ever go back and revisit that movie? I, I'm a Catherine Hepburn fan, so okay. yes, I have. Yes. I, I'm an old movie fan, so yeah. I love pop culture, and I go like I try to watch everything that's ever been nominated for anything. So okay, I want to jump forward just a little bit. You're also <laughs> a Yellowstone fan, right? I'm a huge Yellowstone fan. Okay. I love Beth Dutton. I am like Beth Dutton is yeah. my spirit animal. She just I want to be her when I grow up. Yeah. So um, I I got a couple mugs from people for the holidays that said Beth Dutton is my spirit animal because I feel like we all kind of love her. So how does she inspire you? Let's talk about what is it about Beth Dutton, that character? She's really fearless. And it shows on so many levels in the show. If you think about it, you know, she's gone through this horrific accident at one point in the show and she has scars mm -hmm. and it's, she hasn't, you know, and she's not poor. She could go in and get them fixed, but she's just out there being her. And I think her father in the show once says he wishes he could be her because she says exactly what she's thinking and she doesn't take anything. And she says the only times that she left fear rule her decision-making process with the two worst decisions she's ever made. And so that to me is so impactful as you're trying, you know, so many times many of us do let fear or fear of judgment about by other people stop us from doing what we want to do or doing the things that will get us to where we want to be. So I just love that about Beth. That's that's fascinating. I also just, I love her character and I kind of wish I could be more like her. And in some ways I'm, I'm like, you're like, man, I wish I could, I want to be Beth Dutton when I grow up. Right. Um, you, she would not, you would not want her as a manager. Let me say her managerial <laughs> skills are not top notch. So you wouldn't want to work for her, but you might want to, you want to be her. <laughs> I never thought about the fact that she does wear scars. Right. And she doesn't like, she doesn't fix that, even though no. in the movie that she's quite wealthy. Um, that's an interesting thing I never thought about. And but one thing I thought about her is how like she she has a huge heart, right? Like you, she loves her family. Like she's would do anything to protect her father. 
No, and, and she does. And I think sometimes that gets downplayed. People forget the motivation behind everything she does. Yeah. And it really is about protecting herself, her family. Yeah. And those who she loves. And she's very loyal. Very loyal. Yeah. A lot. Probably a lot to, to be fault. <laughs> A lot to be learned from her character, but maybe not leadership skills. So... <laughs> Well, yeah, it's she, funny because as you're saying that, I always, there's a line from actually Grey's Anatomy where Christine and Meredith Grey are talking and they, they, and they, one of them describes the other as the person I could call at 3 a.m. to help me bury a body who wouldn't ask a question. And I'm lucky enough to have a couple of those friends. And so good. it really is important. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not that we've buried any bodies right. or anything. I don't need any <laughs> investigations, but... She, I like this. Okay, we can just end the episode here. Sheila's <laughs> advice is to surround yourself or at least have a friend or two that would help you bury the bodies at 3 a.m. and not ask any questions. So you ready to wrap up the episode today? Right. <laughs> I think that says it all. And that's sort of the advice to go forward with to get what you want. <laughs> I love it. So I do. Um, I'm not going to let you go yet, but I do. Um, I do want to go back a little bit. So you went to law school. You were inspired by this movie that came out in the 40s. It was black and white. And I can't say that like I'm a huge Catherine Hepburn fan, but I do love like finding kind of that little nugget of an old movie. So I'm going to have to I'm going to have to look for that. And I love it when people kind of get these just kind of unusual places of inspiration, right? That you may not think at that time, but like looking back, you're like, wow, like I ended up doing the thing. So let's go back to law school. Let's go. So you decided to go to law school. How was your experience? You know, it's ironic because I talk about the fierceness of Beth and the Catherine Hepburn character. And I was the opposite. I went to law, by the time I got to law school, I was really sort of keeping my voice down. Mm-hmm. And my goal was to be, as I put it, an ostrich attorney, someone who buried my head in the sand or on my desk and that n- no one would talk to. I wouldn't have to you know, go to court or anything. And I would just do my job and be happy in this little dingy basement sort of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really my law school experience. And I was also like, like many people who are first generation, just clueless as to really what it's about. And so, yeah, you know, I, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but, you know, other than that, I enjoyed my experience because I didn't know what that I was supposed to not enjoy my experience. So I had friends, (laughs) I went out, I didn't realize I was supposed to be really working very hard. Right. It's supposed to be miserable and magical. Right. Yeah. But it was. Yeah. So I took sort of the reverse thing. Um, which eventually worked out okay. Maybe yeah. not so much in the beginning, but you know, but my philosophy was I was really going to be in a corporate lawyer who just churned documents. Mm. And that was, and um, didn't turn out that way, but that was sort of, and I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to speak in public, um, all sorts of things. Yeah. So let's talk about like how that journey evolved for you. You graduated from law school and were you, like, when did you start realizing that you were going to kind of evolve out of the ostrich lawyer position? Did that happen pretty quickly at law school or? No. I mean, I would say after law school, I had a jolt in that I showed up at my law firm where I had my nice corporate job and I came in in my suit and I was all excited for my first day. And the managing partner came out to meet me and to tell me they needed one more litigator. And the litigation group wanted me. And so like my heart sunk. I'm like, can I run out of here? 
my, you know, my parents had helped pay for law school. They would kill me. So I ended up staying, but I felt like this imposter and fraud the entire time. Um, and then luckily through my network, several years later, probably six years later, I got a position in house and I thought, oh, I can breathe. I'm in house. I don't have to go to court. But what I quickly realized was that in house, it was just, if not more important, how you put yourself out there. And this really hit me in the face when one of my peers got promoted ahead of me. And what killed me was, we'll call him Matt. Um, Matt was really not a great lawyer. And like, I, I knew I was a much better lawyer, which I hear all the time from my clients when they're not getting promoted or getting the clients. Um, and I realized that didn't matter. And that if I wanted to um, have an impact for my company and have them have the best representation possible, I needed to change something. So that was really what started me on my journey to sort of change how I, how I was in the office, outside the office, and really make a concerted effort, effort to sort of build a career. Okay. So and by the time, just you know, to finish the story, by the time Matt left the company, he actually reported to me. So oh, that was sort of, yeah, so it did work out. It worked but, out, you know. right? So, okay, is this because, is this because you were more of a, like, kind of nose to the grindstone, get the work done kind of person, rather than being out there shaking hands, kissing babies, working in all the different apart departments, making yourself known? It, it was what making was, myself yeah. known. It was also telling people what I was doing and what I was thinking. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we keep that inside too, or what I'm capable for. And to get back to what you said earlier, that self-advocacy, mm -hmm. saying what I wanted, mm -hmm. what I was looking for. And, you know, I would just add on, I mean, I thought that was such a beautiful point you made. Um, and then to add on to that, I really think of self-advocacy as self-care. Because yeah. you're pushed down and you're not able to reach your potential of what you want it does eat up at you and it does take a burden on you as much as being burnt out and being this, you get frustrated and it's hard. So I really think people need to change, you know, think of self-advocacy as self-care. I love that. I love like thinking of self-advocacy as, I mean, I think that there's different kind of pillars to it. For example, allowing yourself to take up space and also asking for what you want. And, <clears throat> Whenever you get complimented on something, I see this a lot, and I may or may not have done this, but you'd be like, oh, no, you know, Sally did most of this, or like just kind of shying away from it, right? Like rather Or than not saying thank you. I appreciate it. And, I, and, and actually, you know, I go back to college. I had that same thing where people would compliment me, and I would say, eh, it wasn't much, or it wasn't this. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriends took me out to a bar one night. And gave me compliments all night. And every time I didn't say just thank you or that's great, I had to have, take a sip of my drink. Okay, so. They cured me. I will say okay. I got better at it. I don't have to say it cured me completely, but it did help. It pushed me along on the spectrum. <laughs> you felt kind of bad the next day. Let's admit it. You were probably pretty yeah. over. But it made you more mindful of it. Right. It's not perhaps the way I would train someone to change certain <laughs> behaviors today when they, I'm coaching them, but it, it, I have to say it wasn't totally ineffective. <laughs> she doesn't do this at Focus for Coaching. No, it, it's, if you're on a Zoom call with me, we're not going to have like a little cocktail. In the... <laughs> we don't think. You never know. No, um, okay, so so 
you had this realization when you were in house, you're like, okay, I really have to make myself known. Like, what does that mean to you? What would, what did that look like as you were still probably a young lawyer, right? At that point. I was, I was trying to think of how long I was when that happened. Yeah. I was probably, you know, young to mid beginning of mid mid career, I would say. And one of the things that really hit me around the same time was the importance of leadership in house. Mm. And so it's not just your legal skills, but thinking about the company, thinking about the law department, how we could be better and letting people know that. There are a lot of great lawyers, but companies find it tougher, I would say, to find great leaders and people who have that big picture and think of themselves not just as a lawyer, but as someone who's in part a business owner. And so that was a huge um, change in my philosophy. And when I realized that, along with the networking and telling people what I'm doing, I realized having those bigger impacts led me to be considered to be a person of what we would call in-house high potential. And that when you're high potential, that opens up doors. Mm. So some doors were open for you. Yes. Well, or I open some doors might be better. You, you know what? You're right. You open the doors, right? Right. So let's talk about that. What did that, what did that look like for you in in your career? I can think of one game changing moment, which I was sitting in the entire legal affairs, which is more than the law department was at a meeting with the general counsel. Mm -hmm. Um, They called it a town hall. And he was talking about something that was really important, a strategic initiative that he wanted to launch. Mm-hmm. And he was looking for volunteers to work on it. And no one raised their hand. And I was sitting there and I'm actually feeling bad for the guy at this point. And so I raised my hand. So I'm the first person to volunteer for this. Yeah. Um, after I volunteered, every other person was much more senior than me who volunteered. So I was on this committee with very more senior folks. I was getting um an opportunity to talk about my strategic thinking with these senior people who had influence as well as the general counsel. I got to present in front of the company's executive group all because I raised my hand at that moment. That one time. And once you have those relationships, people start to think about you that way. And it changes how you're thought of. You're not no longer just that person who does the legal tasks. You're someone they can put on a strategic project and you know, run it successfully and get it to execution and be there with um, the more senior people. And so it really did, it changed everything for me. Yeah, I bet you look back to that moment and you're like, I'm glad I raised my hand. I'm glad. I'm I- so glad, I, I did not want to. I will tell right. you, I was sitting there th- and I had 9,000 stories telling me why not to. And it was funny, not just the people who were the senior people on the committee with me, but other senior me- leaders came up to talk to me about what a smart strategic move that was. And I was thinking, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and, and it was, and it turned out to be. You know, right. that's, that's really interesting because I talk to people a lot about the importance of saying no and to not say yes to everything. Now, I think this is a little bit different. Like you, but, well, you weren't like really established in your career at this point. You were still, it was your mid-career. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you know, maybe we do have to lean in a little more, right? right? You have to balance. Yeah. You have to say yes to the things that matter and no to the things that don't. And a a lot of times 
And that changes over time. Sometimes you're saying yes to things that will help you when you're junior in your career, but those same things don't happen, help you when you're more senior. You need to be on different projects. And so you really need to think about, you know, what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to. Mm-hmm. And then make sure that you don't fill up space with more no stuff. Like I had one client, we worked really hard getting rid of stuff off her plate so she would free up time to work on some career development um, activities. And the first thing, like the next session, she was like, well, there's this huge thing going on at the office and they could really use more hands. And I'm like, and it was like, I hate to say anyone could do the project, but anyone could do the project. There was no need for her at her level to be volunteering. It might've been nice for the aura, but I was also just trying to get her into that mindset of saying, no, I'm not going to do this. It's okay. I love that. Like the importance of kind of mindfulness in saying yes or no to a project. Does it align with your values and your goals? And is it a project or something that maybe doesn't challenge you? And is it something that anybody could do, right? So you do have to wonder, like, would it really kind of advance her career if if that's what she's wanting to have said yes to that? But um, it sounds like it sounds like you provided some good, um, some good guidance for her. And I want to talk with you, um, about your transition from being an attorney. And I don't know if you went directly into consulting and coaching. Did you, um, take, did you take a little time off or did you make a quick transition? I made a very quick transition. I took a trip to Africa, which I had planned anyway. And then I came back. But I've been, I thought about it for several years. I knew I wanted to do another act. I knew it had to do with talent development. And so yeah, I was exploring, yeah. thinking about it before then. It wasn't like I woke up, you know, my first day outside the company and said, I'm going to, you know, put up the, the shingle. Yeah. Um, it was really a thought out process. But mm-hmm. a lot of it came out of the fact that while um, two things factored into it. One was... Um, In 2008, the last financial sort of crisis, a lot of women that I knew were really adversely impacted, whether it was their compensation, their titles, equity, non-equity. And it all boiled down to that they did not own their careers and they were relying on other people to sort of, I'll use the term, feed them. What, you know, if they were part, you know, at law firms, they were they were the service partners. If they were at companies, they didn't really um, do. The, they, they were like I was before I had saw the light, and they were just doing what they were told. So that was one factor in this. And so since 2008, I started trying to, with some of my free time, volunteer and work with women lawyers about owning their careers with the hope of preventing. Um, another 2008 for women if the financial, you know, if we had another financial crisis. The second thing is at Matt, I developed a really strong reputation for developing strong people, a pipeline of talent where people either uh, climb the ladder internally or externally. And so I was put on every talent initiative and I loved it. And so I knew that was why I wanted to do something with talents and helping people. And so while I had the idea, I explored it a lot and talked to a lot of people I knew about what it could be like. I love that. So when did you officially start Focus Forward Consulting? Uh, January, 2019. Okay. So you work primarily, would this be accurate? 
do you work with women who, or I want to say lawyers in general, who want to be better at owning their own careers? And do you also help with uh, leadership skills? Yes. I mean, I work with people who want to be, to up their, up level their, their careers, whether it's in business development, getting the next promotion or being more effective where they are, like in a general counsel role or chief of a certain area. So those are sort of the three primary groups. I have some folks who are non-lawyers that I work with, but I would say 95 to 90 to 95% of who I work with are lawyers. Yeah. I think lawyers, um, I think we have some unique challenges. Um, but you know, it's great that you're able to, that you're not solely focused on lawyers and that you can help other professionals in the space. Yeah. Well, for the people who are in-house and it's a little bit similar and a lot of times they rely too much on their technical skills. Mm. And so it's really about learning that it's not the technical skills, but you know, the leadership skills, or as I heard someone call them yesterday, the power skills, um, really matter. Yeah. So what do you think about that? The power skills? I've never heard it called, called that. Someone else. And I, I wish I could give credit because it's, I'm blanking on who said yeah. it yesterday to me. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great term for it because yeah. it really is. If you're in-house in a company, it really is what's going to power up your career. And by the way, if you're at a law firm, similarly learning to build that book of business is what's going to power up your career. It's, it's great. You have to, I mean, it goes without saying you have to be a good lawyer, but that next stage, that next level takes more than being a good lawyer. Well, I think it's like you said, it's, um, you know, for example, building that book of business helps you kind of own your own career. And I think that that's where we might've seen a lot of crazy stuff happening in 2008. I was still, I don't want to say a young lawyer. I was, I guess, a fifth year associate. Um, and building a book of business was kind of on the horizon, but it wasn't something that I'd started. But <clears throat> during that financial crisis, I did, it, it really did drive home to me that um, I needed to own my, own my own career, right? I needed to step into it more. And for me, that looked like starting my own practice, like, because I wanted to kind of build my own thing. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Who just happened <laughs> who happens to be a lawyer um so that kind of seemed like the, the more natural step for me than than being part being a partner so i'm curious what what would like a, a typical consulting coaching session look like with you well it, you know it, it, it starts with understanding where you want to go mm -hmm. and so we we start with that and then I tend to dig into talking to the person about their brand first. Yeah. Um, because in talking about the brand and putting themselves out there in that way, a lot of the imposter syndrome, the judging, the inner voices tend to come out. And we start to get to the crux of why they haven't done some of the stuff, the work before. Because most people know some of the things they need to do, yeah. you know, and they just haven't done it. So by working on the branding and, having people have to put themselves out there in a way, if you start to dig into the things that have been holding people back. And it's often mindset, right? It's a ton of mindset. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is with lawyers. Um, I can't do this. I don't have time. I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's really changing your mindset to realizing that that's a decision. So it's not, it's, I can't, it's like, I won't. I'm not you, the victim of this. I'm making this decision to say, right. I can't. 
Right. You may think, you know, you may want to pl play that it's you have no control, mm -hmm. but you really have a lot more control than you think you do. You may have to figure out how to get there and you may have created patterns in your behavior that makes you say that, that makes people think you're going to take everything because you've never said no in your life or you've never said, you know, let's talk about prioritization, you know, or how am I going to do this in a book of business? And so it's changing both your patterns and also how you've trained people what to expect from you. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think that we forget that, that we train people how to treat us. You know, like, you know, if you've been married, I've been married a long time. If you've been married a long time and like you've to never made your husband like empty the dishwasher or, you know, and you ask him to do it, like, you know, it could be a pushback and you're like, it's not a big deal. But if over the time you've let that person get away with it. it yeah. Like it will just sit there for days at a time. Right. 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 Really like finish. It's almost like a battle. It's I can, sometimes it's like a fun battle. High barred if you're watching this, where it's like, <laughs> where it's like who will like hold out the longest on filling the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, in their mind that we had a deal and that wasn't a part of the deal. They did not have to do that. <laughs> and so when you're changing things, whether it's at work or at home, it's not just, you know, you're changing yourself, but you also have to be ready for people to react based on your prior behavior. And then you have to sort of train them and explain to them what's going on. Mm, so do your, does your coaching and consulting address that as well? Oh, like, yeah. We talk a lot about changing behaviors because a lot of times people say, well, I tried it and, you know, I got a little pushback mm. and it's like, well, that's going to happen. Yeah. And let's have let's talk about how to deal with the pushback and what did you say and how did the conversation go? Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to realize that, you know, we, we wish we could like take a magic wand and everything would change and what's bothering us. And we would, you know have a book of business repair or, you know, a GC title, but it really does take some work. And you, and, and that's when I, you know, when I had that aha moment we talked about, I didn't wake up the next day and have my career on fire. And I didn't go from being someone who had my head buried to someone raising my hand. There were steps along the way where, yeah. you know, I, I, you, you sort of chunk it up and you take on and you get better and you take baby steps and you build on it. So yeah. That's important for people to understand, too. I think a lot of people, you know, we're kind of in an instant gratification world. <laughs> we want to see those changes so quickly, but it's it's probably very similar to like training for a marathon. Right. You don't mm -hmm. go you don't go out and run twenty six point two miles tomorrow like you take you train for it over months and months. And it sounds like that's similar to kind of what you help, like you're training people, right, to right. up-level their career. You, I'd asked you, what do you, what do you want people to know? Um, and you said, I want them to know that it's possible to control and curate their career. I thought those were interesting. I thought the word curate was really interesting that you used. I love the word curate because a lot of people go with what I call a career by default, Mm, where yeah. they're very passive and things happen to them. Yeah. And so they have no control. But when you look at people who have been very successful and you sort of dig back and you do sort of a, you know, postmortem, most of them really curate their careers. I had um, mm -hmm. a bunch of women who went to the same law school. I was talking to them at a cocktail party and they mentioned this guy who was in their law school class and they were sort of shocked by how great, you know, how his career had taken off, the companies he was working with, the titles he had. 
And then I sort of was curious. So I looked him up and I dug back in and you could see that this person was just very thoughtful in everything that they do. Mm-hmm. And so it really, it, you know, people like to pretend, oh, it just happens like that overnight success. It yeah. Nothing's overnight. P- you know, people are actually doing things and being thoughtful. And if you're not, then you also are being put in a disadvantage. Right. You have to take proactive steps in your career rather than mm-hmm. just letting it happen. Like, I think so many people do say, well, I kind of just ended up in law school and then I just kind of ended up in big law. Like that didn't really happen, but you know, they just kind of ended up, you know, at a particular insurance (laughs) defense firm. Um, So it's sort of like they are passive in their careers. And I am going to take a wild guess here and, and say that women tend to be more passive in their career um, in their careers. I think, you know, I wouldn't say it's exclusively women, but I would say generally women, the idea of putting themselves out there. I hear more from women like, Oh, my resume is too far gone. You're saying too many positive things. We've got to tone it down. Same thing with the LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I think that, you know, we think if we are good girls, someone will pat us on the head and give us the promotion or what we want. And that's not how it works. And we, we get very disappointed when it doesn't turn out the way we had hoped. Yeah. Do you use any Beth Dutton-isms in any of your coaching or consulting to kind of help your um, clients be a little more active rather than passive? Because I about guarantee that Beth Dutton is not passive with, with pretty much anything, except when it comes to her dealing with her dad. Right. But I mean, think about like her career, the, you know, the things that she su- succeeded in. Um, so do you kind of use any inspiration for her? From you her? know, it's funny. I actually go more because it was before Beth Dutton. I had my other spirit animal because I, like I said, like I was very timid going in, especially into yeah. big meetings. So I wanted to be Miranda Priestley. And I would think about Miranda Priestley throwing those coats I don't know if in the devil wears Prada, like she comes into the room and she's, and she's throwing coats and she's just so self-assured and she doesn't talk a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, but she has a presence Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so that was who I would sort of try to channel before I went into those meetings. And that visualization actually was helpful to me. What do you um, ever advise your clients about doing that type of thing before they go into meetings like Uh, visualization and kind of like, you know, like some people say like, if you take like a power stance before you go into Amy Cuddy, uh, Cuddy, Amy Cuddy. Yeah. She's fantastic. And I should actually link um, one of her really amazing videos on, um, kind of how your physicality, like your physical presence can actually cause like a feedback loop almost. And in terms of how you approach a conversation or a meeting and how women oftentimes when we go into meetings, we're kind of like this, you know, and we, or we cross our legs or we kind of like do this. Whereas men, we we don't sit at the table. We go to the back of the room. We don't introduce ourselves. I mean, all of these things really do make an impact on people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you see someone who at your firm, at your company, if you, don't, if you don't watch Yellowstone or movies, you know, think about that person who seems to have it all and everyone's talking about. 
and sort of look at how they handle themselves. And they're now, you're not going to do everything they do because it may not feel authentic, but start to look for some of the things. And you will start to think about, oh, I can maybe add this or, oh, that doesn't work for me. But maybe if I tweak it, that could be something that is helpful. And so I do tell people to sort of look for role models or people not to copy, but to think about what they are doing intentionally and whether or not that could help you and how you're perceived. No, I think that just creating that awareness, right, um, could somehow present itself physically. Um, I'm not exactly sure how, but like if we notice that someone comes into the meetings, right, and he puts he puts some books over here and he puts his laptop over here and then he like takes up four chairs. Like we all know the guy that comes into the, the meetings like that, right? Like we don't have to do that, but just be to kind of taking that in and just being aware of that, you know, maybe we can sit up a little straighter rather than folding up within ourselves because women or if you walk in late and you're apologizing or something, all those things yeah. have an impact. How, you know, if you come in and you're harried and you got 19,000 papers all over, mm-hmm. um, you know, is that how you, is that the impression you want to make when you're going into the room? I love that you work with your clients about on things like this specifically. You know, it's so important to people to understand what I call their derailers may be, mm. because even if you switch jobs, go to a different company, go to another firm, those derailers will follow you unless you figure it out. And I've had clients where we started to dig in. They're like, oh, I don't want to work. I'm just going to get a new job. And then later on, I hit back from them because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm getting some feedback at the new place about how I'm approaching this also. And I'm like, okay, so let's dig in and work on this. Well, I think we know that it's often not about changing our circumstances, right? Like jumping to the in-house position, even though it seems so coveted or making partner deciding to go to a different firm, isn't going to necessarily change. It's going to, you have to kind of make your own changes. And it's an internal change. And Uh, But a lot of the times it's what you want to do anyway, but you're just letting sort of getting back to the theme of what we've been talking about, fear or judgment stand in your way. Mm -hmm. So what's next for Focus Forward Cult Consulting and Sheila Murphy? What's next? I mean, hopefully impacting more people's lives and careers. That would make me really happy. Yeah. and, you know, as I'm moving forward, I'm, you know, this is sort of a, the next chapter and I love it. And I'm also trying to make sure that, you know, as part of this, that I integrate time for me and mm-hmm. what I want to do, which a lot of it is, uh, I hate to say, travel at this point in my life, you know, yeah. especially I think after the pandemic, we all, I mean, that was my game plan before <laughs> the pandemic, but then I was like, after the pandemic, I need to get out there. So. Okay. So what, where, where's the next adventure? Where are you going? I'm going to Croatia in June. So I'm very excited. I have Costa Rica in December. Oh, I'm and then so um, I might get one more trip in in between. But I'm doing a ton of conferences, which um, in the fall, which is nice because I get, you know, I get to see some place. I've never been to San Antonio. I'm going to be in San Antonio. I've never done Sonoma Valley. Uh, Sonoma. I'm going to go to Sonoma. So, you know, it's yeah. ex- experiencing some life. And I also tell people that's an important part of your development, too. Yes. Um no one wants an outside counsel or an internal person who is just sort of flat and doesn't have a life. It yeah. doesn't translate well. So you really do need to sort of, you know, also have that other life and those things that rejuvenate you because that's actually where your creativity comes in. 
speaking my language, we actually just had a round table about creativity and about things that we can do to stimulate our creativity. And kind of one of those for me is getting out of my, getting out of my space, right? Like getting out of my routine, doing something a little bit different that sort of stimulates um, the creative juices. And it usually, it usually works. Travel is really good for that. Travel, walking in the woods, you know, just get, yeah, just getting out of the regular day to day and giving yourself some space. I think, I think does remarkable things for people. You know, there, there have been times where I was like, you know what? I need to get away from, from my computer. Like I knew I needed to do work. Like I had things to do, but at the same time, it's like stepping away from it and, and going for a walk in the woods, just doing something different, going and playing with your kids or niece and nephew. I have, I have niece and nephews, right? Like just doing something completely out of the ordinary is such a great way to to stimulate your creativity and help you hit your reset button. And I about guarantee when you come back and you sit down and you start working again, you're going to be much more, you're going to be probably more productive. You're going to be able to get like all of that stuff that you were staring at <laughs> done in no time. And even when I was working in the city, I, I took breaks and I did walks 10, 15 minutes because I found that, like you said, that reset was just it didn't take long. And I came back, I had more energy, I was more effective. Mm-hmm. And you have to give yourself space for that. And you have to know how you work best. Yeah. And working with someone like you would probably help people kind of dig into that. So mm-hmm. can you tell can you tell us where um, we can find you if um, we want to work with you and learn more about Focus Forward Consulting? Um, you can reach out at my website where I have some downloads if you just want some guides. And it's www.focus-forward-consulting.com. Very awesome. lengthy. Or you can find me on LinkedIn and it's Sheila Murphy slash Focus Forward. So, you know, both places are great. Um, but, you know, I advertise a lot of free webinars to give some people some insights and uh, a lot of other free material. So. So if you could just leave everyone with one little Sheila gem of wisdom, primarily for our junior lawyers out there, what would you, what would you say? For the more junior lawyers, I would say really what it starts with now is just start building your network and getting comfortable asking for what you need. Um, You don't have to ask for business. You don't have to be raised, but just start by building a good network because no matter what, industry you're in, the number one indicator for success is a strong network. So just start with that, laying that foundation today. And as you start to do that, you can, you'll see opportunities um, develop, and then you can start working on some of the other things. So I think a lot of, uh, a lot of women tend to be very kind of, like I said earlier, like nose the grindstone, right? Like, and they will They'll work late and maybe not go to the the legal event. Um, but you're saying, hey, like maybe maybe A work is good enough. Maybe we don't have to do A plus work. And it's just as important to get out there and and shake some hands and kiss babies and get to know the people that we right. work with. And networking doesn't necessarily have to be the conferences. And I'm a big person saying that's going to a conference. And networking starts afterwards when you're building the relationship. It can be things like getting four or five people together from your law school. 
class. Yeah. Or if you worked at a company or a law firm, having a reunion for five or six people who like each other and you have a dinner. And by the way, when you bring everyone together, it's more fun and you're not having five separate dinners or drinks. So you're saving yourself time, which yeah. is so critical. So critical and probably a little money, especially if you're going out in New York. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. I, I split my time between my place in Fire Island and New York. And I have to say, every time I go into New York, I'm now I'm like, oh my. <laughs> I can't even imagine like how expensive everything is now. So I bet you're like, oh, yeah. And then like after you've been out of kind of the scene for a while, then you go back in. But yeah, so I'm doing both. But it's funny. Um, as my husband says, I do haircut arbitrage by doing my haircut out here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I I I still go to Louisville. I live in a small town in Kentucky, but I still go to Louisville to to get my hair done. I can't I can't break away from it. So um, you know, so I, I get that. But um, Sheila, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I love learning more about your story. You left us with some incredible gems of wisdom, and thank you, thank you so much for hanging out with me. And thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Guys, if you enjoyed the show and you want to stay up to date, updated on future Legally Blissed Conversations content, make sure you hit the subscribe button. And thank you so much for hanging out with Sheila and I today. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Blissed. If you love listening to this episode as much as we love producing it for you, be sure to share this episode with two or three female attorneys who inspire you. And of course, be sure to find me on Instagram. Just follow Susie Hickson. That's S-U-Z-I-H-I-X-O-N. I'll see you next time.